This is 106.1 KALA-FM. I'm your host of Midweek Musings, Evie Breitbach. Alright, hello everybody and welcome to Season 3 of Midweek Musings. I'm your host, Evie Breitbach, and if this is your first time joining us, welcome. There's two whole seasons before this, so you should definitely go check those out, but I'm always welcome to new people joining in the middle, so if you're new, I'm so happy you're here. And for those of you who are not new and you're seasoned veterans of Midweek Musings, I hope you like my new intro. (laughs) I definitely asked a few people if they preferred this or the classiest radio station one, and people seemed to enjoy the new one, so we're going to try it out. And, you know, if you don't like it, that sucks because it's really just up to me (laughs) since I'm the sole editor, writer, producer of this podcast. Um... But yeah, there's going to be a few other little changes throughout, but for the most part, it's going to be more of me tackling unanswerable questions as usual. But anyways, for the people who are new, like I said before, my name is Evie, and I'm a sophomore student at St. Ambrose University, which is a college in Davenport, Iowa. I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you probably know who I am, or at least know where St. Ambrose is, but you never know. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. This is just a little side project I do through our radio station, KALA which you can listen to at 88.5 FM or 106.1 FM in the Quad Cities area. You'll be able to find that online. And also there's a little map of where it reaches. Fun fact. This is the first episode of season three. And I've actually done 21 episodes previous to this. So yeah, if you get done with this and you enjoy it, 21 more episodes waiting for you. (laughs) They get better as you go on because at first I had had really no idea what I was doing when it came to audio recording and editing so some of the stuff at the beginning is a little dicey but how else can you learn if not by doing so anyways I have a whole list of cool topics lined up for you guys for this season which will hopefully take us all the way until my summer break if you haven't noticed I kind of structure it like one season per semester which works out pretty good for now but we'll have to see what I want to do once I graduate because I won't have semesters anymore we'll cross that bridge when we come to it Anyways, I'm recording this in the middle of my winter break, so like to think about summer and like this podcast going all the way up until then is kind of crazy. Like what does it feel like to be warm? I I was about to say I have no clue, but I'm actually pretty toasty right now. I'm recording in my closet and I have this giant tie blanket wrapped around me that I made like three days ago with my friends. It's nine feet long. <laughs> you know how ridiculous that is? Very ridiculous. Um, Yeah, we definitely did the wrong math when trying to measure fleece to make the blanket so um it's massive (laughs) but I I don't mind because it it's the kind of blanket that will wrap up around you no matter what and you don't have to like try to orient it correctly so love that for me so anyways I've gotten off track today's topic is going to be one that was actually just like a recent thought that popped into my head sometimes when I think of topics I let them sit on my list of things to cover for months and months before I cover them but sometimes it's something that I want to do right away, and this was one of those, so I thought it was a good one to kind of start season three with. The question is, are athletes naturally built for their sport, or do their bodies change over time to be better equipped for their sport? And I'm not just talking about everyday people. I mean people who probably focus on one sport and are really good at it, like Michael Phelps. He has really long arms and kind of that like Dorito-shaped upper body that swimmers always want to have. But is he naturally built this way and therefore is better at swimming? Or did his body evolve that way because of all the swimming he was doing? 
And then I also kind of want to look at how athletes have changed over time and how that plays into it as well. So let's just go. Let's just get into it. And if you know me, you know I love a good history segment. And that's one thing that hasn't changed since last season. So let's get into our favorite portion of the podcast. It's time for a little bit of history. Let's start with a quote from Britannica. Sports, physical contests pursued for the goals and challenges they entail. Sports are part of every culture, past and present, but each culture has its own definition of sports. The most useful definitions are those that clarify the relationship of sports to play, games, and contests. Play is purposeless activity for its own sake, the opposite of work. Humans work because they have to and play because they want to. Sport and competition goes way back, like way further than I ever really imagined. The documented history of sports goes back 3,000 years, and that's literally just what's documented. That's a thousand plus years before we even started keeping track of years. At first, sports were about training for war or hunting, which is why so many early sports involve spears, stakes, rocks, or sparring one-on-one with an opponent. The first Olympic Games was in 776 BC and involved foot and chariot racing, along with wrestling, which I'm pretty sure was done naked, (laughs) sus, as well as jumping, discus, and javelin. We all know that this is part of the origin of sports, but what you probably didn't know is that many of the sports we know today originated from African countries. Early forms of baseball and soccer developed in North Africa, and in Southern Africa, physical contests were staged between two men and sometimes two women for persuasion of the gods to grant abundant harvests. Contests of running and jumping were popular across the whole continent, long before a European conquest introduced modern sports and marginalized native customs. During imperialism, colonizers were often astonished by the physical ability and prowess of these people. They would run extreme distances and jump to crazy heights. Meanwhile, similar things were happening in ancient Asia. Wrestling and martial arts were a big part of many cultures in the area. Have you ever heard of sumo wrestling? Karate? Judo? Yeah, there's like a million more examples, and they all come from Asia. It wasn't until the 18th and 19th centuries that many of the popular sports we know today started to form and popularize. And why is that, you ask? It's because of the Union Jack, my friends. Well, and a few more European countries. As these countries began to spread their influence a lot during these years, their sports went with them, and the native sports they found in other countries were whitewashed. I can't say that I'm surprised, because as I grow up, I'm learning about how pretty much everything has been whitewashed. Rugby was widely popularized by the Brits, and football, as in soccer, for the people with no culture, was pretty much discovered in other countries by the Brits. They did not invent it. There are, however, a few sports that can be attributed to white people. <laughs> like, white people actually invented them and didn't just steal them. Basketball, for exa- basketball, for instance, was invented in 1891 by James Nismith, who was an American, and volleyball was invented four years later by William Morgan. And both were designed to provide an activity to play inside during New England winters. Another popular winter sport, which is ice hockey, comes from Canada. I'm not shocked to find that out. I'm just saying. And then, of course, American football, as you can also guess, comes from America, which was basically rugby 
that evolved into what we know as football today. And I think it's still evolving. I don't know if we'll ever see it in its final form because from what I understand, football rules change a lot. And when I looked up like the history of football, it's just like early forms of football were unrecognizable because there were so many different rules. Like they kicked the ball for one, which would explain why it's called football for, you know, all the people who didn't understand that for a long time, like me. In the mid-20th century, sports started to become more widely popular, and I would attribute that to people in first world countries having more free time. 20th century is the 1900s, by the way. They weren't fighting to survive like back in the olden days, and they weren't nose to the grindstone working 20 hours a day in the factory like in the Gilded Age anymore. During the time of the popularization of sports, many people were turned away from competing, Women and people of color were often left out of these contests despite having an interest to play sports. That, of course, is horrible, and I would love to talk about it for longer, but there's just so, so much that needs to be unpacked there, and it would require its own episode to fully talk about the timeline of that. So honestly, for the most remainder of this like history part, when I talk about sports, it's pretty much just white male dominated in America anyway. So just keep that in mind. Since the 20th century, there has been a huge rise in professional sports. There is more media coverage than ever and the sports industry made $512.14 billion in 2023 alone. That has allowed sports to grow even more in popularity. I mean, can you imagine a man yelling at the TV in 1950 about a football game? No. Because football, A, wasn't televised, and B, men were civilized back then. Just kidding. I'm, you know, not trying to make a blanket statement. Another thing that has come with the 21st century is athletes getting better training, nutrition, and optimized equipment, which is allowing for altogether more athletic success. Records are still being broken every day, despite the standard being raised time and time again. That brings us around to a new question. How are athletes as a group different today than how they were in the past? They really don't make athletes like they used to. For example, sprinters have been getting taller. The higher your center of gravity, the faster you can sprint because sprinting is essentially a forward-falling motion. In fact, sprinters today, compared to 100 years ago, are almost a whole foot taller. That's crazy. Now, weightlifters, on the other hand, have been getting shorter limbs in order to not have to waste energy extending their arms and legs as far as longer-limbed people in lifts. And weightlifters have been getting taller and heavier along with that. So, overall, they're getting taller and heavier, but shorter limbs. Rowers are getting taller, swimmers are getting taller, but gymnasts are getting shorter. Gymnasts 100 years ago were 5 foot, you know and change and now it's honestly hard to find gymnasts that are much taller than five foot even and that brings us back to the original question do athletes evolve slash change for their sport or are they born that way let's muse shall we Obviously, your physical attributes matter a lot in physical contests such as sports, but they could be the deciding factor between just participating in a sport and excelling at it. For example, let's look at Michael Phelps. His ankles, shoulders, and elbows are double-jointed. His wingspan is 4 inches longer than his body, and his shoulders are 45 inches across. That's kind of crazy. Now I want to measure my shoulders just to see. 
if I had to guess, I would say like 18 inches. Actually, hang on. Maybe like 20. Probably not 24 because that's two feet. So his shoulders are almost double my shoulders. Uh, anyway, in addition, Gabby Douglas, who is a world-class gymnast, with she is four foot eleven and is able to do things that not many people in the world can do. For example, she can project her body thirteen feet into the air off a vault with just her hands. Her high her high speed rotation on the uneven bars means that she generates a force equivalent to nine times her body weight. That's crazy. She's only four foot eleven, but can like vault thirteen feet in the air. And I don't know if that's accounting for where the vault already sits because I think the vault's a solid five feet off the ground probably let me do a quick google oh I was actually pretty close 4.1 feet so um, wow why can I not do math 13 minus 4 we'll just say 9 so she can use just her hands to get herself 9 feet in the air that's crazy I can't even like think about doing jumping moving that high ever Nine feet? That can't be right. I'm thinking about like a nine foot ceiling. Holy crap. Okay, so then the last athlete I want to look at, LeBron James. He's considered to be one of the best basketball players of current days, but also of all time. And he's six foot eight, 250 pounds. His legs give him the capability to produce 700 pounds of pressure per leap. His speed is unmatched and he can dunk a basketball because... His head is only three and a half feet away from the rim. Um, so that means plus his arms, he's basically touching the rim when he reaches up. All that is to say that athletes today are very, very, very well built for their sport. That doesn't really answer our question. So I'm going to turn it over to some of the better research I found about athletic performance and genetics. Because I'm not that big of a science gal and I don't want to get the info wrong. So we're going to be looking at some other research that I found online. So, athletic performance is a complex trait that is influenced by both genetic and environmental factors, which would basically be like what you grow up around, training, nutrition, that type of thing. Anything that's not natural. Many physical traits help determine an individual's athletic ability, primarily the strength of muscles used for movement and the predominant type of fibers that compose them. Skeletal muscles are made up of two types of muscle fibers, slow twitch and fast twitch fibers. These slow-twitch muscle fibers contract slowly but can work for a long time without tiring, and they enable endurance activities like long-distance running. Fast-twitch muscle contracts quickly but tire rapidly, and these fibers are good for sprinting and other activities that require power or strength. Other traits related to athleticism include the maximum amount of oxygen the body can deliver to its tissues, which is called aerobic capacity, muscle mass, height, flexibility, coordination, intellectual ability, and personality. Studies focused on similarities and differences in athletic performance within families, including between twins, suggest that genetic factors underlie 30 to 80 percent of the differences among individuals in traits related to athletic performance. Many studies have investigated variations in specific genes thought to be involved in these traits, comparing athletes with non-athletes. The best studied genes associated with athletic performance are ACTN3 and ACE. These genes influence the fiber type that makes up muscles, and they have been linked to strength and endurance. 
the ACTN3 gene provides instructions for making a protein called alpha-actinin-3, which is predominantly found in fast-twitch muscle fibers. And then a variant in this gene called R577X leads to production of an abnormally short A-actinin-3 protein, which is quickly broken down. Some people have this variant in both copies of the gene, and then some people have a complete absence of it, which appears to reduce the proportion of fast-twitch muscle fibers and increase the, pr- increase the proportion of slow-twitch fibers in the body. So that could basically determine whether you're going to be better at power activities or endurance activities. Okay, so in addition to these different genes having a big effect on what you're going to be good at athletic athletics-wise, um, athletic performance is also strongly influenced by the environment. Factors such as the amount of support a person receives from family and coaches, economic and other circumstances that allow one to pursue the activity, available resources, and a person's relative age compared to their peers all play a role in athletic excellence. A person's environment and genes influence each other, so it can be hard to tell apart the different effects of the environment versus genetics. For example, if a child and his or her parent excel at a sport, is that similarity due to genetic factors passed down or the fact that they might just participate in in it more because their parent does it you know it is clear that both environmental and genetic factors play a part in determining athletic ability what i said earlier that genetic factors control 30 to 80 percent of the differences amongst individuals the top is 80 percent which would mean that at least 20 percent is controlled by your environment So there you have it. Both environmental and genetic factors influence a person's athletic ability. It's not one or the other. They don't necessarily, athletes don't necessarily evolve for their sport, nor are they solely born better at it. I think it's probably wrong to say either of those are the only answer. And if that's not the midweek musings method, I don't know what is. It makes sense now that I'm thinking about it because I'm assuming world-class athletes like the ones I mentioned earlier, Michael Phelps, Gabby Douglas, etc., are probably born with a certain amount of genetic talent that allows them to excel so much, especially as children, because honestly, what kids are doing all of the training and nutrition that adults do? Probably not many. So if you take into account all the environmental factors they encounter for the rest of their life, plus some god-given talent you have the makings of the ideal athlete which is very cool to think about so i think that about wraps it up for today if you liked that episode make sure to tune in next week or go back and listen to past episodes like i said before there's quite a few so thank you all so much for listening and i will see you next time on midweek musings Midweek Musings airs at 6.30 every Wednesday night on 106.1 FM in the Quad Cities area, but you can also find it on Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.